Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Is it possible to make electronics more environmentally friendly? Now, electronics often use a lot of complicated energy-intensive processes, dangerous chemicals, and can be produced in ways that are not easy to recycle, even if you can manage to get some of the bits out. So is there a way to make a fully recyclable set of electronics that are just as functional and can be produced way more efficiently? If you're familiar with the journey of electronics and the development of circuits, one of the names that would stand out for you is the iconic Bell Labs. The Bell Laboratories are famed for many of the inventions, but probably the most famous of all of the inventions to come out of Bell Labs that changed the entire face of the world is, of course, the transistor. Now, the transistor invented by the team, including Walter Brittain, John Bardeen, and William Shockley, really revolutionized the way in which we approached circuit design. Stop the reliance on large valves and analog amplifiers to build a small digitally switched device that could enable us to make switch circuits pretty small and efficiently. These first transistor chips were then developed down into what we have today, the microchip and the thousands upon thousands of them that power everything in our lives. But it all started off back with that Nobel Prize winning research in 1947 from Bell Labs. Now, that's important to talk about because the transistor is effectively the fundamental building block of all of the electronic industry. So what goes into making a transistor is incredibly important. And just like the role that transistors play in either a switching or an amplification device, and I could nerd out here for a long time talking about the way analog electronics works, but let's just leave that aside for those who want to dive into it for later. Now, one of the important parts about transistors is you need to have this basis, this body, different types of metals and layers, and you use either a couple of different techniques to basically bridge that gap and cause a small input to trigger a larger passer of a signal on the output sides. This is a very coarse explanation of, of how it works, but suffice to say you need to have some different areas of a piece of material coated with some different elements, and this is what enables the electron flow to sort of hit a cascade point. And there's a number of ways you can do that, for example with MOSFETs using a field effect rather than just a direct doped layers of a switch, but anyway, there's many ways to slice this particular problem. And all of these involve, at some point, some kind of circuits being printed, or not the circuits, the doping of these circuit boards with different chemicals. And the issue is this at a fundamental level, this silicon-based chips that are doped with some kind of other metal is what makes up all of our chips, our microchips, our silicon-based electronics. At a fundamental level, the transistor building block is what is making these microchips and small electronic devices. And Ultimately, these things rely on a lot of silicon being coated with some metals. So if you wanted to make circuits and electronics more green, less reliant on strange metals, well, you have to find a way to make these fundamental building blocks, these transistors, out of things that don't involve rare metals or strange metals. Some of them, in many cases, aren't rare, but you've got to create an odd combination of them in the right layers in order to create the effect of the transistor. So if you could find a way to replace this and manufacture it a bit more easily, well, maybe you could just open the door 
to some more recyclable electronics, ones that aren't complicated and difficult to break down, one that could be more easily created and more easily recycled at their end of their life. Well, that's exactly what researchers from Duke University have been looking at, ways to make the production of these basic building blocks of circuits more efficiently, using less or different resources than traditional methods of manufacture, and obviously also with an eye to recyclability. Because the idea here that they're trying to work on, including Professor of Electrical Computer Engineering at Duke University, Aaron Franklin, and others working in his laboratories, is to just make biodegradable and recyclable electronics. Now we're going to talk about two papers that have come out of the labs of Franklin's at Duke University. First paper is lead author Nicholas Williams, which is about developing a way to use carbon as a base for these electronics with some special crystalline lattices and printing them in what is ultimately a recyclable process involving wood-based derivatives. Now, this first particular paper was published in the journal Nature Electronics way back in 2021, but we're going to talk about a more recent paper from the same lab group. The lead author on this paper was Nicholas Williams, and involving a lot of others working under the direction of Professor Franklin at Duke University. And this first paper was investigating the way to make recyclable electronics, because in the most of the things that we try and recycle today, the scrap that we end up with from all of our products, the metals, even some ways some of the plastics in, say, a phone or a piece of electronics, those can be recycled. But the silicon and the chips, that really can't, especially in the way that the microchips are manufactured. And so what Franklin and others in the team were trying to look at was a way to make a completely recyclable, fully functional transistor and microchip-based circuit. This is would be a new building block made of new types of materials. Okay, maybe not as efficient or as computationally powerful, but as a proof of concept for how you could move to a greener method of fabrication. Now, this, what they made in the labs and published in the journal Nature Electronics back in 2021, was a fully functional transistor-based circuit made out of three different carbon-based inks. So rather than relying on silicon, wafers doped with different metals, they were instead using carbon as the backbone. And they printed it onto an environmentally friendly surface. Now it's not just carbon, just carbon on its own can't do what you're needing it to do. But if you mold and change that carbon using carbon nanotubes and graphene, you can make the type of ink that is appropriate for use in semiconductors and conductors themselves. Now, you tie these together, you can make a printed circuit board with transistor elements in it out of effectively printed ink. Now, the fact that it can be printed with this way in carbon means you can try and bond it to a surface, and since it's carbon, you can bond it to other carbon-based things, cellulose-based things, for example. And this is really an important part of the process because if you can remove the silicon from this as the acting as the backbone of this whole microchip revolution if you can take the silicon part out then you get something that's way more recyclable now what they used is a method where they suspended crystals of nanocellulose that were extracted from wood fibers and added some different kinds of salts to that they created an ink 
that actually works really well as an insulator, as part of that sandwich layer in the transistor. This is normally where we would see silicon in its place, but they've actually replaced it with some nanocellulose wood fibers. And using a combination of three different inks with just an aerosol jet printer at room temperature, that they could make an all-carbon printed transistor that functioned well enough for a proof of concept that is in a wide variety of applications, even fully six months after printing, which is pretty admirable for something made out of wood fibers. It shows that it doesn't really have an issue with long life and longevity in this particular application. But they showed that if you took this product and then, well, submerged it in a series of baths and gave it a bit of a shake with sound waves, then of course spun the solution, you would actually completely dissolve this circuit board and transistor on it. You would get back all your carbon nanotubes and graphene that you put in, almost with a yield of 100%, which makes sense because basically you just melted away the backbone that it was all attached to, all these wood fibers, and then filtered them out with the centrifuge method, which means you could just recover all of the actually complex and difficult part, those carbon nanotubes and graphene, and leave it to be used once again in a new circuit board. This is amazing if you think about it. They've actually developed an entirely new way of being able to print a circuit board, and then when you're finished with it, melt it down and recapture it. And of course, since that nanocellulose backbone is made from wood, you could recycle it too, much in the same way as you recycle paper. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing. A transistor is a really complicated component in a circuit. It's used everywhere for switching and also for amplification. But having to make one that's fully functional and recyclable is a groundbreaking piece of analog electronics that turns what we understand a lot in our electrical engineering world about how electronics work on its head, replacing it with an entirely new way of thinking, one that's greener and more recyclable. Now, there's a lot of complicated things that go into making all of the electronics to fit on your phone. The machines that make chips, microchips, are so rare and complicated to replace and in such high demand that, well, it's not like we're going to build up a new industry with wood or cellulose-based chips then tomorrow and just switch them all on. It'll take many, many years, but it shows that there is a way to produce electronics that is different to what we've done in the past, but doesn't mean it can be any less powerful without a bit more development and work. And as a proof of concept for the way in which you could have recyclable electronics is a groundbreaking paper. And that paper was then built on further by the Duke University team and they published paper in Nano Letters about super thin, really thin style transistors made again out of all carbon, but this time getting rid of any chemicals involved in the process using water only as the background rather than any complicated or dangerous chemicals. This paper would now talk about some great, great work done published just this month in Nano Letters. Now, this particular paper in the journal Nano Letters had its lead author Shi Heng Lu and Brittany Smith, along with other researchers from Aaron Professor 
And so having shown how they could make a more recyclable version of electronics using carbon as their base, researchers at Duke University took it another step further, trying to see if they could eliminate some of all the chemicals that are often used as part of the fabrication process. If you could get rid of the need for hazardous chemicals, then you could show the silicon fabrication industry or the microchip fabrication industry that you don't have to have such a nasty environmental impact on the area around you. And you could obviously also reduce risks to humans and not just in the manufacturing process, but from leachate from that process or the processing or recycling of those electronics in the first place. The idea here really is a way to green up the whole process from equipment used, the chemicals used, the way it's produced, and address the whole life cycle challenges in having all kinds of electronic devices. If we can make those microchips inside of them produced more cleanly and more efficiently, and also they're not leaching out all kinds of nasty chemicals at the end of their life, that's pretty good. Now, the thing to remember about electronics, as we talked about before, is there's so many layers of components stacked on top of each other. And part of this layering is important for getting information density, switching density. That's what makes microchips so good. They get smaller and smaller and stack tighter and tighter. And that's how we have phones now that are not the size of a room. Now, the thing is, trying to get all these layers to bond and stick together, and that is actually tricky especially for printed electronics, because you've got to use a lot of things to get them to actually stay in the right place. If you're trying, as Aaron Franklin explained, to make a sandwich, order is important. If you put down jelly on the sandwich first and then try to spread the peanut butter on top of it, the jelly won't stay put and it'll just mix in with the butter. This is effectively, as Franklin puts it, the same thing that's happening inside of the circuit fabrication. When you're building up your layers of your printed circuit boards, you have to make sure your layers have good bonding with each other and don't slide all over the place. This is really important. Otherwise, you just end up with a mess, not a particularly appetizing sandwich and not any functioning electronics. Now, the work that Franklin Lab did previously about making carbon-based inks using carbon nanotubes and graphene, that was a pretty cool concept, but they took it one step further by now changing the whole process to only use water as the backbone. Now in this whole thing, if you wanted to eliminate water, the really actually the hardest challenge there is the carbon nanotubes that they developed in their previous research. Because to make a water-based ink in which the carbon nanotubes don't just then all stick together and actually spread out evenly along a surface is incredibly difficult. Because normally you need a surficant, something to, like detergent, to break up that surface layer of the water. So the carbon nanotubes don't just form a big clump in one spot. You want them to spread nice and smoothly. Another challenge with trying to use something like water in this process is when you then try and spread out all these nanotubes on the surface, they clump and they don't behave nicely in the resultant ink-based process. And the effect of this is that if the carbon layer nanotubes in a layer aren't spread evenly across that layer, you don't get enough in the right spots to really have a high density that you need for electrons to travel across. So the whole function of it falls apart. Now, with a chemical-based process, you can just keep repeating it and getting it 
a nice density and smooth, even consistency. But it doesn't quite work that way with water. You just end up with clumps and really odd lumps in all these places. You could do it a hundred times and you'd still get the same density as you had before and you just end up with a weird clump. That's because the surfacate that you're putting into that water to keep the nanotubes from clumping together also stops it then from sticking and adhering in the right place where you want it in the first place. This is a pretty tricky problem. That's why in traditional circuit board manufacturing, researchers went to all great lengths to find and eliminate surfacants where they can and replace them with either really high temperatures, which is hugely energy intensive, or harsh chemicals. And that's, again, another either environmentally bad thing to use or could expose health risk to the workers and also to the people exposed to the circuit boards at the end of their life in recycling. So what Franklin and the team developed is a cyclical process where devices rinsed with water, then dried at a relatively low heat, and then you print onto it. And then doing this process of print, add water, dry, print, add water to rinse it, and dry again, and repeating, you still manage to get the ink spreading smoothly. And they still make a fully functional, fully recyclable circuit board like before. Not as, okay, efficient and straightforward as what they did in their original proof of concept. But importantly, they actually eliminated the chemicals from this process or the incredibly high heats required. It's a really good example of how if you take a proof of concept, an idea, we want to make a fully recyclable piece of electronics. Well, that was what the researchers at Duke University started with as their concept. And they've been refining that through a series of experiments and papers to see, okay, how could we do it next? Oh, we ran into this challenge. Okay, maybe we, we could eventually find a way to use only carbon, fantastic. But, oh, we still have a lot of energy and a lot of chemicals. Well, we can eliminate those, but it creates other problems that have to be solved. And this is how science and engineering works. Iterative design and trying to solve the next problem as you come up to it, all in the search, for, in this case, of making more renewable, more green electronics that can be recycled and reused once again. It's a great series of papers coming out of Duke University, published in Nano Letters and Nature Electronics, and researchers working under Professor Aaron Franklin at Duke University. The second paper's lead author was Shi Hang Lu and Brittany Smith. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From recyclable electronics that are carbon-based that can be easily reclaimed and melted down without nasty chemicals or lots of energy. This week we found about some great green renewables electronics. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.